this month we are looking at a topic that we are calling countercultural Christ. Countercultural Christ. We're looking at the things that Jesus said that were in opposition to the common thinking of his time. Okay? He was countercultural. And what we're reminding ourselves is if we are meant to be like Christ, if he is who we aim to be, his actions, his behaviors, if that's what we are striving for to be Christ-like, it means this, we're not meant to fit in. We are called as a church and as Christ followers to be different. Not meant to fit in at all. Romans 12, 2 actually reminds us of that fact. It says, don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world. God intended for us to stand out. And right up until he ascended back to heaven, Jesus was bucking the norms of his time. And today we're going to look at one of the last things that he said. And we're going to see what can we learn from that for us in 2023 America. And we're looking at one of his most famous statements, Matthew 28, verse 19. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do is just look at this statement there and remind ourselves, what is it that applies to us here today? And the first thing that I would say from this statement is this, the reminder for all of us, no one is excluded. No one is excluded. Up until this point, Jesus' ministry had been mainly to those who were of Jewish descent and followed the Jewish religion. Not completely, and actually for the past two weeks, we looked at one of the most well-known stories of when he didn't do that, when he sat and spoke to a lady who was not a Jewish lady, whose life was an absolute mess, the woman at the well in Samaria. But with this statement that he is making here in Matthew 28, he is reminding his disciples, you're going to go everywhere. This is no longer just for the Jews. This is for the Gentiles also, the non-Jewish people of that time. It was time for things to change. Now, that would have ruffled quite a few feathers because being Jewish was a national and it was a religious identity. There was pride involved in it. In fact, the Jews had been told for a long, long time that they were the chosen people. This was their gospel. This was for them. And here Christ is saying the absolute opposite. It is for all. It is for everyone. Mark 16, 15, he says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All, not just some. This statement tells me two things. Number one, everyone matters to God. Every single person. And number two, Everyone is of equal value. And this morning, I just want to remind everybody of this fact. 
no matter what others say about you, no matter what you may think about yourself, no matter what the devil may whisper in your ear in the still early hours of the morning when you can't sleep, God says that you matter, and God says that you are somebody. You matter to God. No matter your past, no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your race, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing, no matter what you will do. He already knows that. And he says today that you matter to him and his love and being a part of his family is for you also. You matter to God. Everyone includes everyone. There is nobody that is discluded from that. You matter. We okay with that? Sound good? You're quiet, I know. There's a few of you in here. Okay. So let's ruffle some feathers. If everybody is included, we live in a ridiculously fractured world right now. We are divided by politics. We are divided by race. We are divided by socioeconomic group and class. We are divided by what we believe and what we don't believe. And here's what I want to remind all of us this morning at Genesis Church is this. We don't get to decide who needs to hear the gospel. It's for everyone. Everyone. Now, I'm not saying today that we need to accept things that are being done. Hear me out on that. But here, when I read my Bible, the greatest commandment is love God, and then it doesn't say accept everything everybody's doing. It says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Romans 16, uh, 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. See, if I'm standing on the edge of a pool, and right next to me there is a huge life preserver, and I see somebody drowning, I don't say, hey, hold on, before I save you, I've got a few questions for you. Do you use pronouns? Are you doing anything illegal? Uh, who did you vote for in the last election? Uh, how's your immigration status? How do you feel about the doctrine of justification? I don't start with those questions. What do I do? I save them. We have the power to save people. We have the gospel. And see, here's the thing. Some of the people who the devil has in the tightest of grips are the ones who need what we know the most. We don't get to decide who hears the gospel. We love them, and we bring them to Jesus. Somehow it has got lost somewhere that this is just for a certain group of people. And if you take a bath and get yourself cleaned up, then maybe you're deserving of what is in these pages. And that is not the case. It does mean that we may need to get dirty. 
It does mean we may need to deal with people that we find their actions repugnant and repulsive, and we don't want any part of it. But the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. Every single person deserves to hear it. Take the gospel to all nations. Every single person gets to be a part of it. The second thing we pull from this verse is this. We need to be a role model, and here's mine. Okay. So, good job, Charlotte. Now, Jonathan's not being here today. Totally messed up the transition that I really got all worked out in my head, where Charlotte takes the segment, he takes the segment, and then I get up and say, wow, that was terrific, guys. You did a great job. Hold my beer. But I can't do that, so I was told I shouldn't anyway. So anyway, there we go. Jesus was countercultural to the Jews they were in. Jesus said, this is for everybody. To the Jewish nation and religion, they were the elite. Jesus said, nobody's elite, or maybe just everybody's elite. That's what Jesus was really saying, because everybody counts, everybody matters. You take this gospel to all nations. So, Back to Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to look at the statement, make disciples. Because the fact is, having disciples was not a new thing. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, had disciples. Well, they called them disciples. But what they really had was followers who were fueled by fear. And Jesus was advocating a totally different approach. What the Pharisees did was they passed on the rules and the regulations of the law of Moses. Now, religious people are very good at making rules. In fact, in the course of years, the Ten Commandments ended up being 600 books of rules. Because you had to explain them all, right? Because if, if one of the commandments says, you know, the Sabbath day is meant to be holy, it's got to be a day of rest. Um, so what does that mean? Can you define rest? So it was, you must not do this, and you must not do that, and you must not do... And, and, and it became page after page after page after page, defining what you could and you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. I remember when I was uh, pastoring first in Scotland, um, I was discussing the whole thing, because they were very big up there on the, the thing, Sabbath, Sunday, and keep it holy, don't do tons of things, you shouldn't. And, and, and I remember an old man in our church said to me, he said, I really respected one of our former pastors because he would shave late Saturday night so that he did not have to shave on the Lord's day. I thought that's good. I got a full beard, so it really doesn't matter, you know. Uh, but it's like, it's amazing how you can, how you can get into that. And that's that's what the Pharisees did. They taught their followers the rules, the regulations, 
and then they policed them to make sure they were keeping them. In Luke 11, 46, Jesus talking to them. Jesus replied, you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. So when Jesus said make disciples, he was going right against the whole concept of the day of what making disciples was really about. And the fact is this, for many of us here this morning, whether it was an authoritarian leadership or whether it was a judgmental congregation, many of us have experienced that kind of church environment. One in which we never feel we're good enough. We're always looking to see if anybody's frowning at us. And if we should step out of line, there's always some gracious, kind person there to crack the whip and tell us to get our act together. Is that? Yeah. I know it's true. I don't have to ask you, right? Because so many of, us, many of us have been there. And when Jesus talks about discipleship, here's the thing. He's not talking about dictating. Discipling people is seeing the best in everybody, believing the best of everybody, and wanting the best for everybody. That's the root of discipling. It's about recognizing the potential in others and encouraging them in it. You don't disciple people by policing them. You disciple people by giving them an example. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Be a role model. That's what he did. One of my favorite verses in the Gospels is in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4, sorry, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, where it says this. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Jesus appointed 12 to be with him. Most of Jesus' preaching in the Gospels was to large crowds. There are a few occasions where the Gospels record him talking specifically to his disciples and teaching them, and that often came out of a question they asked or of a situation they had been in. But the fact is, Jesus did not have a classroom. When he discipled the 12, he did not say, okay, now there are a whole bunch of courses that we need to take you through. and It's a three-year course. We'd prefer you to take the master's afterward. <laughs> didn't work that way. He didn't say, you've got to go to the University of Galilee, and then you've got to, then, then, then you've got to uh, go, go on and, 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 and really get further training after that. Here's what Jesus said, come hang out with me. Come hang out with me. Come see how I do stuff. When I was a kid, you've heard me tell this story before. My mother used to send us all off to a Sunday afternoon children's Sunday school in the local Methodist church. And, and I recall one of my teachers when I would probably have been about nine, maybe 10 years old. And there was something about this guy. I don't know what. Mr. Chick. 
And Mr. Chick was so warm and kind to us all and friendly. And, and, and every Sunday you walked into the room where he was and you felt valued and wanted and, and I used to go there. Some weeks my brothers or my brother or my sisters would kind of find some excuse, you know, that they, so they could get out of going. I always wanted to go because I wanted to hang out where Mr. Chick was. A couple of years later, when I came to know the Lord in, in, in another church that became my home church, um, turns out that the, the mother of a couple of the girls in our youth group worked with Mr. Chick. And I don't know how that came up in conversation, but, but she had mentioned to him that I'd come to know the Lord, I was involved in the church, and, and she would kind of carry word messages to him about what I was up to, and he would send you know, his regards to me. And, and a week or two before I left home to go to Bible college, I went to the place where he worked. Hadn't seen him since I was a kid. And I asked for him at the front office, and they got him for me. And he said, I said, you don't know me. I, I'm Roger Blackmore. And I said, I just came here to say to you, I'm going to Bible college. I feel God calling me to ministry. And I want you to know that you being you played a huge part in this. I have no idea what he taught me in those Sunday school classes. You know what I knew? I want to be like him. That's discipling. That's discipling. I want to be like him. It isn't all a head thing, folks. It's a heart thing. And what Jesus has, in, has told us to do is go make disciples, not teach classes to people. Let our lives be such an example to people. Let our lives just give such a message that people say, I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of person. That's discipling. We don't need to lay down the law to people. We need to let people see Jesus in us. Philippians 4 verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus' disciples were discipled simply by being with him. They hung out with him for three and a half years. So you know what? When synagogue was over on the Sabbath day, they went to the diner with him. No, they didn't, because you wouldn't have been allowed to open a diner, right? Because that's in a rule book. But you know what I mean. Right? They went and they, and they saw how he interacted with the servers or with the, whoever else. When he went to get his groceries at Stop and Shop, they went with him. And they watched how he did things and how he was with people. When somebody outside 7-Eleven asked him if he'd got a dollar for a cup of coffee, they watched what Jesus did. And they learned from his lifestyle. And, and Jesus' encouragement to you and me, and this was so countercultural in his day, because discipling people meant to give them the rules and make sure they kept them. Jesus said, you don't need to give out rules. You don't need to police anybody. Just live in such a way that they see you, they see me through you. That's discipling. That's discipling. 
We're not here to fix anybody. God knows we're still working on fixing ourselves. Amen. Right? Not my job to fix everybody. My job is to say that's the biggest, widest door we could fit into this building, and it's wide for a reason because everybody's welcome here. I don't care if you come in here reeking, reeking of marijuana. I don't care if you came here this morning just getting out of the bed of somebody who's not your husband. You're welcome here this morning. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. Not my job to fix people, my job to welcome people, my job to love people, my job to let everybody know that they matter to God and to give them an example of godliness and of how Christ is. That's discipling. That's discipling. Go make disciples of all nations. And then, and then Jesus said, you've got to be looking always to seal the deal. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Seal the deal. Back in our key verse of Matthew 28 and verse 19, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What was the end product to be? Here's the end product. Number one, you recognize this gospel is for absolutely everybody. Secondly, you look to disciple others. How do you disciple others? By giving them an example of how Jesus is, showing them Jesus by the way you are and the way you live. And what's the end, what's the end result that you're looking for? He said, go make disciples, baptizing them. That was to be the outcome that they worked towards. I... Uh, I was very happy in some ways when 10 years ago, um, we finally started having services in a permanent location. Now, to tell you the truth, in our 15 years uh, of being portable, uh, there were such some tremendous blessings to being portable too, to tell you the truth. Uh, but one thing I was happy about is uh, nobody can kick us out. You know, when you're portable, things change. So, you know what? It's not convenient anymore for you to rent this space on a Sunday. It's like, okay, where do we go now? And as some of you know, we, we were in, uh, was it 13 different places in the course of, in the course of 15 years? And uh, I, I love the fact we're here. And, and, and you know what? I love the way this building looks. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to have a place that I'm not embarrassed to invite people to come to. Right? So, so you walk in the doors and the place, the place looks cool. I, a, a guy who was here for the first time last year was, uh, I was talking to him outside in the cafe and he was looking around and he said, this is like classy. Now, that was interesting. I never aspired to classy, but anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, I'm just a poor kid from the poor end of town, like, but if this place looks classy, I'll take it. He said, it's like, he was out there looking around and said, it's like being in an Apple store. Like, oh. oh, not only classy, but high-end classy. <laughs> but you know what there is a, the bottom line is, thank God for the building we've got. Thank God for the facilities we enjoy. But you know what the question always is, but what's it for? But what's it for? What's the point? What's the ultimate goal. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, 
We've got a ridiculous orange chair out there in the foyer. It's like, why? Because we could. No, this, but, but why? Why? We, we got colored lights running up and down the wall. Really? Why? You know, we, 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 we got a screen as big as Regal Cinemas. Why? Why, 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 have, why have we got all that stuff? And I'll tell you why we've got the stuff. I quote you the words of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who told all of his followers, here's the quote, go straight for souls and go for the worst. Why? Because we're going for souls. You know what the end result is? The end result is for people to come to faith in Christ and to see them getting baptized. The end result, everything we do here has got one end in mind. We want to do our utmost to make sure that people who don't know Jesus will come in here and, 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 and will find an environment that is caring and loving and comfortable to them. They'll find around them stuff that's interesting and quality and above all, that they'll hear about Jesus and come to faith in Christ. Amen. That's our why. Why? Why do we, why do, we do it all? And, and that was just, that was so countercultural in Jesus' day because Judaism was inward looking. And I want to say this it's countercultural today. Aren't, aren't you glad I get two preaching slots so I'm not as restricted as I was with the time? So, so it's countercultural today for us to go for seeing people come to faith in Christ because the overriding mindset of 2023 in America is you do you. Hey, whatever works for you is cool with me. If it's good with you, that's good. So, so if somebody's happy and it works for them and it doesn't bother anybody else, then you know what? We've got no right to criticize or to judge. Well, I'm not advocating criticizing or judging anybody, but I've got to be real clear on this, and, and, and let's remind ourselves, without faith in Christ, there is no salvation, no forgiveness, no eternal life. All roads do not lead to heaven. And, and, and the you-do-you approach, hey, fine, what a cool, whatever works for you, I'm cool with that. Proverbs 16, 25 says this, there's a way that looks harmless enough. Look again, it leads straight to hell. That, that's, that, that's how serious our mission is. Acts 4, 12 says there is salvation in no one else. Under all heaven, there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. There is only salvation in Jesus, which is why our purpose is we go for souls. Our purpose is to see men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ. Our, 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 our passion is to see lives turned around by the power of God. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptism was the clincher. Baptism was like sealing the deal. Now, let me say this. Baptism is not essential to salvation. There's a whole lot of things that are not essential to salvation. 
The only thing that's essential to salvation is faith in Christ as your Savior. When we look to God for His grace, He saves us in a moment for all eternity. I'll say it again because I think that's phenomenal. When we look to God for His grace, He saves us in a moment for eternity. Wow. Wow. The moment I commit my life to Jesus, I receive the gift of eternal life. I am saved for eternity. So I'm saved for eternity. So let's put that issue to one side. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Now what does God want me to do? Well, he's not asking me to work for my salvation because that's a done deal. So what does he want me to do? He wants me to be a part of what he's about. When God saves us, he does his bit totally. You know what happens at baptism? When we get baptized, we finalize our part of it. God said he was all in when he sent Jesus. He gave us the full deal when we put our faith in Christ. When we get baptized, we're saying, I'm all in as well. Jesus said, go for that kind of stuff. That's what you look for. Look for people to be fully committed followers of Christ. A few years ago, I'd been, I'd been a member at a particular gym for about 10 years, and uh, the standards were kind of going down. You know, you'd have to go in there and try find a, go on a few treadmills before you found them one that was working right. And then when you found a treadmill that was working right, the monitor on it wasn't working. And, and it was like, you know, it was, I was getting a little weary. And, and, and there was a, a big, new, fancy gym that had opened just a couple of miles from our house, not to say what it was, but it's a city in uh, California. But anyway, um, so... I, I, I can't, it, you know, it troubled me to kind of leave my gym. It's like, well, it's been, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the new place. So I go up to, I go up to LA Fitness and, uh, oh, and uh, I say, uh, I, I'd like to kind of, I'd be interested in membership. And uh, they called somebody over and this guy took me around and showed me everything. Then I go over to one side and I sit at the desk with him and um, he said, well, what kind of membership? I said, well, here's what I want. I don't want to pay a penny more than I'm already paying. So he says, okay, well, let me go. Let me take you through this. So here's what we can offer you. Um, There is a $200 sign-on fee, and then it's going to be $65 a month, I think it was. And I said, well, that's great. I stood up. I held out my hand and said, thank you very much. So he said, what's the matter? I said, I told you, I don't want to pay anything more than I'm paying already. And that was about a half of what he'd offered me. And I said, so it's good. I appreciate it. You can't do that. And that's fine. That's good. Great, Jim. Um, But I'm I'm not going to spend that much money on it. And uh, I started to turn away. And then he said to me, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me go and talk to my manager and see what we can do. Right? It's like, it's like a car salesman, right? It's like, oh, let me talk to the sales manager, see what we can do for you, right? So then the manager comes over, inevitably with a pad and a pen, and starts writing, well, we could do this, and I guess we could waive the registration fee of $200, and if you wanted to do this, this it would end up at 
$35. That's what I was paying already. I said, good, done deal, I'll take it. Because <laughs> you know what? They didn't want me to walk out the door without joining. They wanted to seal the deal. You know what? Let's be that determined as we pray for our loved ones, as we look at our families and friends, as we see people coming in among us who might be new to us. Let's make it our goal. We want to see them come to faith in Jesus. We want to see them come to really know Christ. We want to we want them to become disciples of Christ, be baptized, become absolutely committed followers of Jesus. Word of encouragement to you all, those of you watching at home, those of you with us here in person, never lose your appetite for seeing lost people come to know Jesus. Never lose that appetite. Pray towards it. Invite people to church anticipate that they're going to take a step closer to Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go for it, 100%, all in commitment. Go for it. That was totally counter to the cultural of culture of Jesus' day. But as Charlotte said earlier, we're not intended to fit into this world. We are intended to influence this world so that it starts to look more like Jesus wants it to look. That's what God wants for us. So, open doors, open hearts, loving, not judging. That's all countercultural, still today. But the fact is this we need to recognize that church doesn't exist for church people. We exist for those who are not here yet and who are not in the kingdom of God yet. It's not that we've got something cozy for ourselves. That's how the Jewish religion was. We're, you know, we're blessed. We're God's chosen. We're us. And then Jesus blows the whole thing up saying, go and speak to all nations. And you know, churches die when they stop looking outwards. When they no longer realize that their purpose for being is to make disciples of everybody and seeing them come to full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our task. That is our joy. That is what I look forward to every Sunday because every Sunday I'm praying that there's someone at least watching with us who will come to put their faith in Christ and who will cross that line from death to life. That's what I look for. That's why baptism is always so important to me, because baptism is like sealing the deal. It seems so simple in itself, but it's not. The spiritual ramifications are huge. It's a like, God, I am absolutely all in. I'm all in. Here's where I am. Let's not settle for coziness for us.
but let's keep focused on what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Okay, here's, here's what we are going to do, since those of you in-house are the brave few, right? A warning on your phone at 9.15 in the morning that says, do not go on the roads, does not help Sunday attendance, but thankfully we are able to live stream. Um, our, our, our worship director, Steve, actually had got word his basement is flooded. So, so he left after the opening worship set to take care of that. So we're not going to finish with a song like we normally do, but we're going to stand and we're going to pray. And then I'm going to invite you before you turn and leave to um, maybe just speak to one or two folks beside you and say, glad you came today. How about that? That'll make some of you really uncomfortable. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you reached out to us. Lord, we dread to think where we might have been today without you, but we're not without you. Lord, you've saved us, you've made us your children, and you've given us a mission. And Lord, I pray that you would help us constantly to be living examples of how Jesus is. Lord, help us to live showing your love Help us to live as examples of Jesus, we pray. And Lord, may there be lives that are impacted for eternity because your light shines through us, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thanks for being here with us today.